Great to be with you today. Welcome to you if I'm speaking to you at the Shoreham site or at the Oasis site or Hove site as well. Hope you've been enjoying our journey through the New Testament letter of James in our Resilient series. One of the things that I've been thinking about this week is whether James would have fitted well into our social media age? That's the kind of question that us preachers tend to dwell on and that sort of thing. I don't know what you think about it. Because on the one hand, if you've been with us, you would have heard from this letter of James lots of sort of pithy one-liners. You know, counter all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And those kind of phrases, you know, they're the kind of phrases that fit nicely on a little tile with stylized writing and, you know, picture in the background on your Instagram and that sort of thing. So on the one hand, I think James would have fitted quite well in the social media age. But on the other hand, especially when we get to passages like we're looking at today, I think James is the kind of person that would probably get into a lot of trouble on social media because he's prone to the kind, saying the kind of things that people, if they posted them, would probably get more comments than likes on it. And we're seeing that in the passage that we're looking at today. We're focusing on the topic of money. I'm going to be speaking into uh, our gift campaign and what we're doing for that as a church. And this passage in James is about rich, the rich. It's about wealth and what we do with it and that sort of thing. But it's an example of James's sharp one-liners being very sharp. So brace yourself uh, for this passage and we're going to hear it right now. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What do you think? Social media age. I can see this as a bit of a Twitter thread. And I think, even though I said he might get more comments than likes, I think this one, actually, maybe he would get more likes on it because who he's taking aim at is a subject that lots of people do on social media like to take aim at. The rich, the corrupt, or we would probably say the super rich. Uh, they tend to be an easy target and it's quite easy to like a post that looks to take down someone who is ripped, uh, rich, especially if there is a hint of uh, corruption. And that's what James is speaking about here. And so we might like that sort of tweet, although when we think about it, James is speaking about rich people and then we think, well, James lived 2,000 years ago. The people that he was speaking about are probably far less rich than any of us actually are when we consider our level of comfort, our smartphones, our cars, our healthcare system, hot water taps, electricity, 
that we enjoy. That's even way beyond the wealth that James would have even imagined. So wait a minute, is James talking about us here? Has he got some sharp words to say to us? And I realize in saying that, I'm probably opening myself up to the stereotypical uh, church line on wealth. All right, this guy wants us to reach into our pockets today, so he's going to make us feel guilty uh, about having any wealth at all. Well, the good news is I'm not here to make you feel guilty uh, for the wealth that you have. But the bad news is I do want to bring James's challenge to us. And one of the things that James is challenging us on is the fact that we get money wrong. We think about wealth wrong. And that attitude needs to be corrected. So is, we're in for some correction today. But then the other good news is that when the correction comes ultimately from Jesus, when he wants to challenge us in the way we think about our wealth, we actually come to a place of realizing that is a good thing and that is for our blessing as well as the blessing of others. And so that's where we're going to today. And hopefully we're going to land in a place of hope and generosity and joy in our giving. That's where we're going. But we have to deal with the sharp edges of what James is saying here. And so let's, let's think about that. James is angry. <laughs> it's quite clear from the language he's using it. He is cross. But what is he cross about? When we look closely at the text here, it seems that he's not calling out the rich for being rich. Although he talks about their self-indulgence, it seems like the biggest criticism that he has against them is injustice. It says in verse 4 there, we just heard, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you and reaching the ears of the Lord. So he's saying, actually, what I'm most angry about is you're getting rich at the expense of others. And this is a theme that resonates quite well in the society and culture that we live in today. That calling out of corruption, calling out of fraud. We hate it when the poor are oppressed. And in the many news stories uh, that we see that imbalance of power and people being exploited. We see that time and time again. And probably similar to James, it makes us angry. It makes us cross. When we see the rich exploiting the poor, when we see perhaps the rich and powerful paying their way out of trouble or facing justice, when we See, powerful people, whether it's in the entertainment industry, the sport industry, or even in the church, powerful people silencing victims of abuse, quite rightly, that stirs up some anger about that injustice. And of course, what's most pressing on our news feeds right now, when world leaders attack other nations, bombing innocent people, we say that is not right. So when we read James's anger here, we need to understand James is actually expressing something of God's anger against injustice. God cares about it. God sees it and it provokes anger in him. When God sees uh, people being mistreated, when God sees evil happening, when God sees sin, James is showing that God takes that seriously and he sees it and he cares about it. 
And I think that's a timely reminder for us, because I don't know about you, maybe when you see what is happening in Ukraine right now, maybe it has provoked that question in you. It's suffering that has happened. Does God care? Doesn't God care? Doesn't God want to do something about this right now? And that's kind of an instinctive thing to ask. And you know what? The people that James is writing to, I think they might have asked a similar question. Because in this passage, James is talking about the rich people exploiting poor people. And I think from what we understand about the context that James is speaking into, it's very likely that the church would be those who are being exploited rather than uh, be the uh, ones who are exploiting. It may have been the case that there might have been one or two rich landowners amongst the congregations, but it's more likely for most people, they would, wouldn't have owned land. They would have been the laborers who are being defrauded, being mistreated, innocent victims in a situation that was unjust. And I think what James is doing here is helping them to see that God does care about that. And that, does, that their being mistreated is something that rises to God and God cares about. And actually even God is angry about the, the sin and the injustice that is happening. James is reflecting something of God, seeing and knowing and being appalled by this treatment. And he's doing so to be an encouragement to them. To say, actually, God knows. God is in control. God knows. And God is responding in his timing of this. And you might say, well, is that really much encouragement? Okay, God cares about it. But the suffering continues. Well, what James, the way that James wants to encourage them here is to point them to, okay, the suffering is real right now. But God cares about it. And also, God is dealing with it and will deal with it. You see, in the natural it is sometimes hard to rec reconcile the goodness of God and the existence of suffering. But part of the Christian response to that question is to recognize the eternal. And that's what James does here. He, when he's speaking about this uh, subject and when he's speaking to these rich people, it's clear from the language that he's using that he's pointing them towards the reality of the eternal consequences of their behavior. Let me take you to a few examples in the text to just underline that. In verse 1, he uses the language, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. And you think, what's that about? Well, we've already seen the connection between James's words and the words of Jesus. There's lots of connections there. When Jesus talked about eternal consequences and hell, he would often use the language of the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when James uses this weeping, howling, he's pointing toward that, that would have been a symbol of something to do with the eternal judgment. In verse 3, he talks about in the last days. Now, that is the era that we are in before Jesus comes again. But it's pointing towards Jesus, the judge, the judge of all things, the king of the universe. He is coming. And, he's, and that's another theme in the Bible, to judge everything that everyone has done. And it, towards the end of this passage, it's very clear, really. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. That is... Judgment language, an eternal judgment language as well. Now for us, we live in a very now culture. We want everything now. And sometimes we do struggle with God's patience towards evil in the world. But one of the things that 
we can see from this is that, no, no, just because it is coming doesn't make it any less real. No, God said he will deal with injustice. And actually, you know, as a Christian, we understand our revulsion against injustice actually is a demonstration of God's feelings towards it as well. Now, God is patient in terms of bringing that justice and bringing an end to injustice, but it is still very real. Do you think the corrupt are going to get away with it? God is sovereign. God is the king of the universe. God sees everything. No one ultimately gets away with anything. The fraudsters, the murderers, the abusers, the oppressors, the warmongers. God sees it. God knows. God hates when the innocent suffer. And James is severe in his language in this. Because God's judgment is severe and eternal and very, very real. And so as a Christian, we, yes, we grieve our injustice, but also we trust that justice ultimately will be done in the end because God is just. So James is angry about injustice, but James is also angry about worldliness. And... um, That second thing is probably something that more resonates uh, with us all and is more applicable and perhaps more challenging to us directly as well. What are we talking about with when I say worldliness? Well, one of the things that James is calling out here is an attitude to wealth, an attitude to the material that focuses on the present at the expense of eternity. And we see that clearly in what James says in verse 3. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Laying up treasure, meaning putting their confidence in what they have in the material now. Putting their trust, putting their sense of safety and security in riches. And again, this is language that is just basically borrowed or echoed from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapter 6. He uses the same phrase. I'm going to read it out now. Verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if the first thing that James is calling out here is corruption, the second thing he's calling out is a heart, <clears throat> a heart attitude to money. And this is something that we are all prone to get wrong, whether we have a lot or whether we have little. Applies to us all. This is Jesus' words are a challenge to each one of us, especially, especially as we feel the cost uh, of living is increasing. Many of us, that is a big deal. That makes budget, our budgets difficult and stretched and we're feeling the pinch of that. And when we feel the financial pressure, what we probably instinctively do is cling a bit tighter to what we have. Have, have you felt that even in the last few weeks or months? These, this huge uncertainty, rising costs, we've got to hold on to what we have. 
money, the money that we do have becomes more precious to us. We grip tighter. Have you felt that? That instinct is anti-gospel. That instinct is what Jesus is speaking against in this passage. Because what that is doing is revealing something of our heart. It's revealing something of where we're putting our trust and our confidence. What Jesus wants us to do here is actually the opposite of that. Whether we have much, whether we have little, whether we feel the pressure to hold things lightly in order to invest in eternity. What gives you that sense of financial security? I think if, in one sense, if the last few years have taught us anything, we have seen how fragile material things and things that we might put our confidence in can be and how quickly they can disappear from us. You know, Jesus taught about, you know, don't build your house on the sand, build your house on the rock. He said, your if your foundation, your security, your sense of safety is in me, that is secure. If it's elsewhere, whether it's in your wealth, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your success, in your career, your family, something is going to come along, a storm is going to come along and it's going to cause it to go. And, that, and we've seen that. <laughs> we've seen that. And many people, many of you are facing that right now. You know, you, maybe your sense of financial security came from your business is going well or your job is one that you enjoy, it's secure. And then a pandemic hits and then Brexit implications hit. And for many people, their businesses have gone. Their jobs have gone. Maybe it's, it's our house. Well, things are tricky, but we've got, we've got our house. We've got somewhere to live. And we're watching on our news screens people who were couple of weeks ago in Ukraine going about their everyday business and in a moment have to leave everything behind. The house, they're gone. Their livelihood, gone. Everything they have is now in a suitcase and leaving. Savings. We think, well, okay, I'm going to weather this storm. My confidence that I'll be okay is that I've got this savings account. I've got this money in the bank. I'm sure many people in Russia felt that as well. And what has happened in a few short weeks, currency, the value of, of their savings has disappeared. Banks can't access the money. We've seen that in this country as well. Banks go under, people lose money or be defrauded from it. You know, we, maybe your security, your financial security is in your pension. You think, well, I've got that. That's safe, that's protected. We see in many stories, people lose, people, things getting uh, robbed even from that. Or we just, we lose our health. <laughs> we, that one trip to the doctors, one diagnosis, and everything changed. Things that we had banked on. This is what my future is going to be. This is my pension. This is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. It can be taken away in a moment. One trip to the doctor, one decision by a world leader, one virus that just hits us. Everything can go. Surely if we've learned anything over these last, please, Let's learn not to trust in these things. They can go in a moment. If it hasn't happened to you, it could do. The Christian is one that knows more than this. We've, we've heard Jesus' words already. Don't trust in those things. Don't put your heart in those things. Trust in me. You see, the Christian is one who sleeps well at night, not because of the money stuffed under their mattress, but by the God the Father who watches over them. That's where our security is. Paul says, I've learned this secret of having much and having little, trusting Him, 
trusting Christ. Jesus teaches us this world is not a safe investment. And so James is challenging to these rich people. They have they failed to obey Jesus and his words in this. But actually, they failed to do two things. They've got two things wrong. In laying up treasure, they've done what they should not have done. They've put their confidence in their earthly riches. But they've also not done what they should have done. Have you noticed in Jesus' commands here in Matthew 6, what does he say? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't do that and do that. And so we have to be careful on this one. I know I do. We can fool ourselves into thinking that, okay, I'm not going to trust those things. Yeah, I trust Jesus. He holds my life. And that, yeah, we, we've done what Jesus asked us to do. Well, okay, let's think about it. I think, you know, maybe um, later on in Matthew 19, we get the story of someone who comes to Jesus and asks him. I mean, maybe this person is someone who's already heard Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount say these words. And this rich young man, it says, he comes to Jesus and he says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you, you know, you obey the commandments. You know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet. And the man's response to Jesus is great. I've not done all those things. I've not done the naughty stuff, the bad stuff. And we can think that when it comes to, when it comes to money, when it comes to our security, we think, okay, yeah, I've not, tr- I'm not trust. I've got, you know, I'm, I've got money, but I'm not trusting it. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm here on Sunday. I'm worshiping. I'm trusting Jesus. But what does Jesus say to the man? What he says is, okay, Now go and sell what you have and give to the poor. And it says the man went away sad because he had lots of of wealth. Now, why did Jesus ask him to do that? Why did Jesus challenge him in that way? Is Jesus, did Jesus like try, just try to trick him? Just kind of lure him in and then turn the tables on him? Or was Jesus just being mean to him? Oh, he's rich, right? I'm going to make him give it all away. No, no. Jesus is going after his heart. Jesus is saying to him, you know, you need to really trust me. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What a challenge to us. It's a challenge of, do you really trust Jesus? You're actually going to invest. And this type of thing is right up James's street. We've seen it right the way through. James is like, be a doer of the word. Not, it, it, it's about the heart, but your heart will be shown in your actions. And that's what this is all about. A few weeks ago, I think Toby had spoken to us. We often say, well, my heart is in the right place. But Jesus has said, well, if your heart is in the right place, your treasure is in heaven then as well. You are acting on that. That's, those two things are so connected, what we do and where our heart is. Let's not fool ourselves to, to say, yeah, I'm trusting Jesus. Well, Jesus calls us to give. Jesus calls us to be generous. Jesus calls us to invest in heaven. Use our earthly resource not to trust in here, but actually take it from there and put it into his kingdom, put it into an eternal investment. There is a proactive response that Jesus is looking for us to follow him in. And that's where we land 
with this gift campaign. This call to generosity and proactive in our giving is, it goes well beyond just this gift campaign, but I want to appeal to you right now that it might include this gift campaign because so many of these themes of investing in the future, investing in the church, investing in eternity is exactly what we are going for in this time uh, to build gift campaign that we're involved in this month. We believe God's call for us as a church is to grow and to flourish and to reach more and more people for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this location and in locations around the world. And so that is why we're doing what we're we're saying that we're doing uh, with this gift campaign. We want to invest in training, train up in leadership, the next generation of church planters. We talked about this Emmanuel Institute to invest in people, to get them grounded in the gospel, get able to lead. Because why? For the sake of it? No, because more people need to know about Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of Jesus is going to grow and churches are going to be planted. We believe that's, what, that's part of what God's called us to be involved in. So I want to encourage you, let's give to this. Give to this by your giving, you're investing in the growth of the church, the spread of the gospel, the extension of Jesus' kingdom. Similarly, for us as a church, we've talked about in the video you've seen there about us giving into us going away next year as a church to have a weekender. And you think, well, it's just going to be a nice time. In this age that we live in, The church in this city needs to flourish and grow and be strong and be confident and have a vision for what we're going for and be united as a body. That is what this weekend is about. People need the gospel. The church needs to flourish. We believe that's what God's called us to and so that is why we're putting this on. Please give so that we can do that and the church, we've had a hard time individually as a church. We want to grow in strength. That's what God's God's destiny for us. Come on, let's give, let's invest in the flourishing of the church and especially for the next generation. That's why we're giving to uh, getting people who might not otherwise be able to get to New Day. Now, if you know anything about New Day, you know New Day Festival is a place where people become Christians. Young people, teenagers come to know Christ for themselves. If you know anything about the pressures that young people are under, the social pressures, the pressure that pushes them away from Jesus, it's vital because we know if if teenagers get hold of Jesus, they make a commitment for him, that sends a direction of their life to follow him. And we know New Day is going to be a place that young people are going to get to know Jesus, be grounded in their faith, going to be healed, know the power and presence of the Spirit. You can help get young people to that by giving to this gift. What an investment in the kingdom of Jesus. Eternal implications. And we get to be part of it by giving into this gift. In a similar way, Clear Vision for our students and 20s, those who are at Clear Vision, they are the future leaders of this church, leaders of churches and other places as well. Many people probably myself included, have been shaped by clear vision in the past and so helpful in order to encourage us to live for Christ. And it's, it's the future. we're investing in the future of this church and, of course, investing uh, in the kingdom 
in the sense of giving money to our family of churches, New Frontiers, in the direct work that they are involved in, in supporting and helping and giving money to churches in Ukraine as well. I'm sure we will hear stories of how that is um, being outworked on the ground and the finance that is being given to in, enable that in that dark hour. But in one sense, we're also trust. We're not going to know the implications of it, but it's an investment in the kingdom that in a dark moment, in a dark time, that the church of Jesus Christ can be uh, a people who bless, a people who give compassionately, and a we want to see a church flourish in that nation as well. And so that's why we're giving 20% of everything that is raised from this gift campaign will go directly to New Frontiers working uh, in the, with the churches uh, in Ukraine. Jesus says to us, earthly treasures rust and rot, heavenly treasures last forever. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Friends, we have plenty of reasons not to give. <laughs> plenty of reasons not to be generous. But Jesus is calling us to see not just the day-to-day, -day, not just the earthly, but to see the perspective of eternity. This world is not a safe investment. His kingdom is a safe investment. And he invites us to trust him. And if we know King Jesus, we know the one who says these words. Yes, James has got some strong words here. Yes, we've talked today about judgment and the return of Christ. But if you know him, if you've received the forgiveness of Jesus, you know what he's like. That judgment has been taken upon himself for our sake. He's died for our sin and he invites us to trust him. Seek first his kingdom and everything else will be added to you. That's his promise. Let's trust him today. Let's, let's give generously. Let's see the eternal with everything that's going on. He invites us to trust him. He is good. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. Let's worship him today in song, but also in our giving as well.